you are listening to a production of the Tone Network. This is Laser Knees number 100, just plain mean. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Dino Knight Sentai Ryu Soldier, episode 27, Unrivaled Fist, and 28, The Microscopic Conflict. Our writer for 27 was Yamaoka Junpei, and for 28 was Naruhisa Arakawa. Our director for... Oh, oh he's back. He is. Um, our director for both is Kashiwagi Hiroki, and immediately after watching 28, I had to go look up that episode and who wrote it, because it was incredibly harrowing. And, you know, seeing that it was Arakawa made the whole thing kind of click into place, because, man, it is the most Arakawa thing I have seen in quite a while. Yeah, it's in the best way. I'm just mostly reeling from the fact I didn't even realize that the episode was called Microscopic Conflict, which, like, is as a name, at least when translated into English. And I'm sure, you know, you lose a lot of of, uh, nuance. But man, that feels like it's underselling what's going on. A little bit. Also, congrats to us for 100 episodes of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Just because, you know, this has always been our baby. We Mm. both came to Uncommon after it had started. Um, I mean, we've now probably been on it longer than anyone who was on it has been on it. Uh, I mean, maybe with the exception of Amit. Yeah. Uh, I would have to do some math there, but I'm not sure, but... You know. It's been a minute. We started this show because you and me specifically wanted to talk about Sentai. Mm. We were bummed that we didn't get to talk about Tokyujer, and we were... Zuojer was looking like something that could be interesting, um, and it was sometimes, but, you know, here we are, 100 episodes later of this show, and I'm pretty proud of what we've done with it. Yeah, no, it's been been a really, a really fun ride so far and i'm i'm looking forward to seeing where where the next hundred go because i would i feel like the format we developed for laser knees was eventually transitioned over to uncommon um especially as you know you and i became more and more in charge of that Mm. just because it's it's a format that works really well for us it does it does and it's it's you know it's it's often a shame that ahmed has for for very good reasons had to step back and and uh let us let us take hold of his of his baby here uh which boy sometimes i i feel kind of bad because not to say like this is not a bad thing uh my politics his politics not exactly what you might call entirely in line and it's just like oh they turned my baby into a pinko not his words that's just a bit of a laugh but you know at uh, the same time I, I am who I am, and that's part of my critical perspective, so... I mean, look, we've, we've always been that way on the show, and he was still comfortable turning it over to us, so... Fair dues. But, you know, this is episode 100 of Laser Knees, which was a thing that I wanted to do, and that you wanted to do with me, and... Yeah. We've, we've had a good... God, we've done, what, like, three whole shows, and now we're halfway into Ryu Soldier? Yep. Wow, time does fly. It really does. And it's nice to it's nice that we're hitting 100 in a show that is just really nice. Yeah, and especially on some episodes that are really good. I mean, yeah, they're really good and also hey, it's Arakawa. Yeah. Cuz um I again, I I don't know that I stan any anyone it's it's a bad idea to do that's why it's named after that Eminem song about the guy who is a bad man but uh 
boy, I'm come cl- I come close for Arakawa. <laughs> he is up there in our favorites. Uh, you know, our our stable of five-ish Toei writers that we just think are really fantastic. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, 100 episodes, and, and here's to 100 more. Yeah. Provided, especially since, hey, Re-Soldier did the thing it set out to do and saved Sentai. Yeah, lord, what if it hadn't? I don't know what we'd do. Well, what we'd... I, I imagine we'd probably go back and try some, like, older ones. Yeah, we honestly, we would probably go back and do Tokyo and... Yeah. Then go Kaiser, and then figure it out from there. Yeah, look, that's that's a lot of stuff right there. <laughs> Honestly, once it's okay, we're gonna do Tokyuger and go Kaiser, and like that's enough. You don't have to start thinking about anything afterward until uh, the the prince dies in uh, go Kaiser. Because around then it's like okay, now you have to. You should have an idea. And I mean, look, if if a Sentai ends up being real bad, which honestly has never really happened, I've never encountered a Sentai that was bad enough that I had to stop the way I did with Gaim. Because again, mm. I know the ninja isn't great, but the quality of the show is not why I stopped. Yeah, no. And I mean, I, I don't have many fond things to say about Kyoryuger, but I did watch the whole thing. I did stop for a little bit, but I did, when the show was ending, I went back and watched the whole thing together. Uh, and the, the reason I stopped was, like, I feel like this would probably be better if I binge-watched the whole thing. Mm. It's it's not a show that worked well week to week. No. No. And it's... I think that's all a thing that, honestly, I really appreciate Sentai for. Because, uh... Sometimes you just get in a mood, especially when when you're having a terribly ADHD kind of day, where it's like, I would just like to watch a thing, and it should be episodic. Sentai you can do that with. Yeah, you really can with a lot of them. A lot of writer, like, more and more it gets really difficult, because a lot of them don't find that nice midpoint between serialization and episodic. Like... Zio, Zio's a bad example because Zio just did not make a lot of sense week to week, but there just are not many modern writer shows that would be good for for just watch an episode. Yeah, and I mean, the the problem with Zio was Zio Zio acted like things in other episodes mattered, except they didn't. (laughs) They really didn't. Every episode yep. acted like something had already happened that was important to the the goings on, except that thing never really happened. Nothing mattered. Anyway. And any and again, anytime they brought up, I'm I'm always on. We brought up a bit like, oh no, this dude can literally pull things out of his dreams and make them real things that really happen, even if they make no sense in this world. And we never touched on that again? Yeah, well, look, they took an entire three months of the show, and then we're just like, no, that never happened. We decided we don't want to do that anymore, so it never happened. And And I never forgave them for that. Even though I did not like the thing that was erased, that's not how you do things. Sorry. You just, 
kill that guy off and move on. Anyway, but let's get into some into some stuff that's good because uh, Junpei Arakawa and Kashiwagi Hiroki did some excellent work here. As did the cast. God, everyone. Holy crap. This, these two episodes, and quite frankly, the two episodes that come after, but we're not talking about them this week, it's really a fantastic group of episodes. Really is. Um, but since these episodes are good, we, we're just going to get the bad stuff out of the way up front, because uh, there's a couple nitpicks. Just, just a few, and honestly, none of it's really anything too yeah. huge. Um, like, you know, Tiramigo, was it really necessary to, like, hurl Melt across the room to get in on the, uh, Pachigaru conversation? Like, I know you've got important things to add about how you, like, know about this dude, but still, you don't need to, like, smack him out of the way. That's a little bit rude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as your father, Tiramigo, I'm sending you to time out to think about what you've done. It's not cool. Um, and I guess Gachireus is back. I wish I could say this was an interesting turn of events because we've got a villain who we thought was dead coming back, um, but it's not. No, it, it's not. Like, especially since right before he walks in, Weisel lays out this, like, horrifyingly great plan to emotionally manipulate their victims into despair instead of just scaring them to death, which is infinitely more interesting to watch than Punch Submarine just running in and shooting people. Right? Like, Weisel, Weisel might be the most underrated of the generals on this show. He really is. And, like, as much as I love Weisel, like, going full Bugs Bunny in dumping on Gachi Reyes, um, to the point that, over time, dubs in the line, what a maroon. Oh, like, yeah. that was incredible, and Thank you for that overtime. That was a good choice. Yeah, brilliant. Um, but, like, how did Gachireus even get into space? I know that they're setting up the Geysorg stuff that we're currently building to, but, like, it just... It doesn't make a lot of sense that somehow he was able to shrink himself back down and go into space. And, like, I sure as heck just... I don't care. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing. Because even if there is an interesting reason for it all, like... He's, like, maybe he's piloting a normal person-sized mech suit, and he's actually, like, a little dude in a spaceship. There's a little, like, tiny, teeny guy, which would actually make this an interesting uh, thing to pair with the next episode. But, like, even if that's the case, um, old Bodie McDebag wasn't cool, like, and that won't make him cool. While I appreciate that this might be the start of him getting a second character trait, his first one being a boring toolbox, but just he he just sucks. He sucks real, real bad. Yeah, it's it's really amazing how much we've warmed up to Weisel because we were not into him. Yeah, like but I the thought combination he was... of this dude. Oh yeah, he only helps Weisel. He's great for like he's he's the perfect straight man. Like, he's, he's, I want to watch Bodie McBoatface just, just do the sideshow Bob in a, in a field of rakes. <laughs> and I want Weisel to be the one who put the rakes down. Oh, it's, he's, like, he's such a good Daffy Duck. 
Yes. Yes, he really Where he's, is. He's just a jerk, and he's awful, and everything he gets is coming to him. Yep. And, ev- and everything he gets is coming to him, and he's always asking for more. Because he just sucks so bad. Again, again, Field of Rakes. If, and if Wiseul can't just chump him all the time, which, like, that's what his job should be from now on, uh, I really hope Koreon is the one that takes this dude out. Yeah. Honestly, I just want Koreon to take everyone out. Like, I, I for one, welcome our new slime mushroom overlady. That's, I guess, they're not going to do that, so um, she she can take out uh, Bodie McBoatface. I... I should learn his name, but I honestly just do not care. I have read it. It is on the screen in front of me, and I cannot be bothered. The only reason I was able to put it in the notes is because when I paused to write these notes, his name was in a line that was on the screen. So I did not have to make an effort because I would not have. Okay, so I know that Nada's whole plan was awful, and we're going to talk a lot about it later, and that, you know, he intended to have Ko, please note my heavy air quotes, accidentally kill Asuna, who is, like, a large part of the source of his kindness, as a means to break him, and it was gut-wrenchingly scary and sad, and again, we're going to talk about that in the section of stuff we enjoyed. But, and then, like... The, the the fact that no one else thought, hey, maybe the blunt force Ryusol is not the best choice for this very precise surgical task felt a little bit questionable. It's like, yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna take the one with the giant punch fists that are like bigger than all of our heads. And we're going to use that to deal with the really, really tiny dude in her lungs with a stranglehold on her heart. Yeah, that, mm, that's, uh, I, like, I'm watching him just like, that's a real bad plan, you guys. Did, did no one just point out to Nada, hey, that's a real bad plan. I'm, I'm going to need you to explain, like, someone should have had one question. <laughs> yeah, like, I know it's the most recent upgrade. Which, like, look, that's the only reason yeah, I'm so, willing like, to make any allowance for this. Like, we gotta show it off to the kids. And again, Nada's plan was not made for Ko to succeed, so I get why Nada picked the Smash Soul. Oh, yeah. But, like, Melt is the smart one. And Melt specifically responds to this plan with, Ah, yes. Punch it off of her heart. That makes sense. Yes. I agree with this plan. And, like, no, honey, no. You should be like, hey, do you really think this can work? It doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would work, but he just, they all just go along with it. Yeah, I just, especially since there's Melt, who is, on top of being the smart guy, he's also one of the great sword guys. And there's Bonbo, who's just, like, right next to him. Like, look, I know Ko's the red, but, like, delegation some responsibility, dude. She's your best friend, too, Melt. Get in there with the, with the sword and, like, Tree Ken, right? Do, do like, a thing with Tree Ken and just, like, c- 
cut cut the thing off of her heart. So, like, or they could just explain why they can't cut it. Yeah. Like, even if it has to be Ko, and I'm sympathetic as to why it does have to be Ko narratively. Oh. Um, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Like I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm fine with it being Co, because uh, you know he's got all this guilt about not stopping it, and Nada's kind of already in his head. But like Co's also not bad with a sword. Like he could do it with a sword. Use I don't know. Use the speed soul so that like he can't see you running off to the heart to cut it off or whatever. Like I don't know. I conceal soul. There, I'm pretty sure there is one of those. Yeah, they have one of those. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, you, this is a bad plan. This is a bad plan, and literally any other Ryusoul would solve this problem better. Yeah, if just add in a bit where, where, like, Ko says, look, we're all too emotional about this. Not as the only guy who's got a cool head, and he says this is a good plan and I trust him. Like, if you just have that line in there, it's like, we all go to, okay, this is a stupid idea, but then we can at least get to, okay, but they can't see how stupid it is because they think they're being, like, they think they aren't being rational about it, and he's gaslighting them because, you know, he's terrible. He's a bad man. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, there just needs to be something there where we acknowledge that this is maybe not the best plan. Just, someone should have one question. <laughs> I'm not saying we gotta, we gotta go into a big long thing about, like, oh, logically, you know, we, we don't have to go full internet logic bro about it, but someone should have a question. <laughs> Even just, like, have Melt go like, hey, this seems like something that needs more precision, and have Nada go like, oh no, but you can target, like, specific things with the smash. Like, yeah, how yeah. in the previous episode, Melt had punched specifically, like, through all of the rocks around Ko, but didn't hit Ko. Just... You just gotta say something. Yeah, it's that thing where, okay, we understand the show is for little babies. Same time, like, <laughs> I have questions. Same time, I feel like an eight-year-old would also ask this question. I would think so, but I'm not an eight-year-old, so I don't know. It's just, it's weird, and I'm guessing it it used to be a very different move, but they're like, no, we just introduced uh, Pachigaru and Chibigaru, and the kids are going to love them. Make it happen. Speaking of loving them. Yeah, yeah, let's get into the good stuff, because mm, this, this is some good Sentai. really is. Again, we these are all very little nitpicks. But, um, okay. So this is a pun that I don't think translated super well that I just really liked. Um, when Ui's dad is trying to take a picture of the map, he does a little, like, say cheese joke. Um, and Overtime did a decent job with Mapakati cheese, but the the actual joke is the Japanese word for map is chizu, which sounds like the oh. English word cheese. Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, that's, like, when you see people and things say cheese, they're, yeah, cheese. Like, yeah. yeah. Um... So it's, I just really liked that pun, and I was proud of myself for picking it up, so I thought I would explain the joke to everyone. 
Which, look, I, I personally appreciate, because I, I sort of figured there was some kind of pun going on, because there was that whole thing with the map that just happened, but I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out what was going on. So, yeah, you should feel proud of getting the joke. I I like finding out the bases for these puns when I can. Uh, Chizu is one of the very limited Japanese vocabulary that I've had for close to two decades, uh, because it was in the title of an anime song. That I like. Ah, that'll do it. Uh, so it was. So I knew the word because I knew the translation of the the title of the song, and I you know now I've studied a bit and I know some amount, not a lot because I haven't studied in like a year now, and Look, one yeah. day my teacher's gonna come fight me. But second languages are tough. I will tell you that for free. Like you know it. Any. Dear listener, if you haven't learned a second language, give it a shot. It's tough and also incredibly humbling, which is something I think we all need a little of here and there. It is, and I'd love to get better. I just don't have a way to use and practice it often. Yeah. Which is really the problem. But... Yeah. Like, when I was taking a class twice a week for two years, I got pretty good at it. Mm. But I haven't used it in... You know, like six months. Yeah, that'll that'll do it. But it's it's a word that I've known for a very long time for a very dumb reason. So I was pleased to have that long time, mostly useless knowledge finally pay off. Mm. I I adore the bit of them like going out to find the temple and Tiramigo just slams his head into the side of a cliff until he's found a new friend, because he is delightful. He really is. And look, first off, headbutting is the coolest attack. I will be I will not be hearing any questions upon that. Um which makes me glad that my son can be so very, very cool. And that's a thing we're just gonna keep having in the show, even if sometimes he needs to go to timeout because of how he treats his friend Melt. But also like he takes the direct route and and I'm very happy for that. Cause you could go on a big Indiana Jones thing where you get into the temple that way, or you could just tear out the frickin' wall. <laughs> like, look, I know what the Bokengers would choose, but these guys aren't Bokengers. I mean, look, it depends on which Bokenger. Because if Sakura knew you could just blow up the wall and get to the end of it, that is exactly what she would do. Yeah, no, that's true. She is She's practical. Like that. But speaking of... Just to get it out of the way, Chibigaru is a blessing bestowed upon us by the dinosaur gods. True. I adore him. I love this tiny pain-in-the-butt child. And the way that his little tail wags when he's impressed by Code dodging his punches in the cave was absolutely precious. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd have to concur. Because, okay, fine, I'll, let's get it out of the way. The CG was not the highest quality. But that hardly matters because he was also charming as anything. Oh my goodness. He's a precious bab who has been separated from his dad all this time. And then he just wants to hang out with his new friend Ko. And the way the, they animated the mouth, because like, okay, they didn't exactly do lip sync, but it was still really cute. Just charming all over the place. Yeah. And part of me is surprised they keep getting Mao back for voice acting work, given uh, how big of a name she's become in the past few years. Um, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised that they'd get her f uh, for, you know, a other animation work, because Toei's got a lot of big popular titles, but 
I don't know, maybe she, she's willing to come back to Sentai for nostalgia. And I guess, you know, voice acting rates are probably cheaper, and it's probably quick for her to do. But I'm kind of glad they keep hiring her to voice characters that I really love to kind of balance out my distaste for Luca. Oh, okay, Mal is Luca. All right, I didn't. I was, I was about to ask. Well, I, I have to say, she's very good at adorable little critters. And also, uh, cool robot ladies who want to be Sailor Moon. Like, good, good for her. Good on her. I'm glad she's getting that work. Yeah, I mean, she's incredibly talented, and I'm really glad her career has taken off. But I'm glad to see her in things that I am personally watching, so that she, I can be like, okay, these are characters of hers that I enjoy. Yeah, it, the problem is not the actress, the problem is the character, and that's a good thing to be able to, to keep in your head. It's just, I feel bad when, like, I hate a character that an actor plays, and it's the only character I ever see them play, so I never have anything good to associate them with. No, that, yeah, that sucks. Like, I would I would love to see Gakusano in something else. Yes. Um, re- I... I, I... And the kid who plays Kaito, because uh, I think they're the only ones, because I've seen both Takatora and Michi and other things. Hmm. Even though Takatora in the, in, uh, was it, Q-Ranger, was basically just Takatora again. But he was Takatora in a show that I enjoyed. Yeah. So I wasn't... Well, he was also framed explicitly as the villain. Yes, like, which really helped. It's... Look, I... I... Takatora was the one, like, main character in that show that I came really close to liking, and then they ruined it, but... I was just mostly just... I just wanted to, like, put some glass on his cheekbones and just get... just watch him cut a hole in the glass with his cheekbones, because they are razor sharp. But... Anyway, um, moving back to the show. I'm glad Mao is doing well. Yeah, 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 me too. And she's playing... Probably one of my favorite dinosaurs in this show. Which is saying something, because there's a lot of charming dinosaurs. Just still kind of sad, Trican and Anki Rose have yet to have, like, lines. Yeah, I'd really love to let the other four in the main five talk. Mm. But I get why they don't. But anyway, um, in, in getting to, to other things we enjoyed in these episodes... You mentioned it earlier, but f- wait, we both mentioned it earlier. For all we're not happy that Bodie McDebag's back, the bit where him and Weisel are going back and forth, like you said, like Bugs and Daffy doing duck season, rabbit season. And then he even gets him to do the, even does the Bugs Bunny turnaround, just to, just about whether or not Boatface ran away, or no, strategic withdrawal. Nah, you ran away. Like, that was great. It was. It was a really good bit. I Again, props to Overtime for getting that Bugs Bunny line snuck in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many people who aren't us caught that. Um, I, I really hope that it's, it is like the, that something in the, in the original Japanese rhythm would be like the Japanese dub of Duck Season, Rabbit Season. I hope so. I have no way of knowing, but I hope that it is the case. Uh, especially since it it even ended the same way, just without the fire. Duck season, fire! 
Ah, classic. Chuck Jones, y'all. Okay, so Co ready to throw himself headfirst into just an underground cave tunnel, whatever, was precious. Like, he can't even, like, climb down there like a normal person. Like, he's just ready to throw himself face first into this hole, and I love him. I think this is why him and Tiramigo get on so well. Because they just, they take the most direct path to whatever it is they're doing. Good, bad, at least they cut out some nonsense in the middle. True. Though, who boy, Nada's whole, like, oh, but, Ko, you're the leader, so you gotta throw your expendable pawns down there to make sure it's safe. Mmm, didn't like that. I mean, like, buddy, this is why Master Red didn't pick you. Yeah, even before, like, the stuff in the next episode, you're just like, okay, Nada, that's really messed up, you know that, right? It, it did make me wonder, though, if on top of everything else... They, they aren't trying to use Nada to sort of be a, a counterpoint or commentary to people who confuse being vicious with being effective, or who, who say that you can be both cruel and a good person, like, or, or something like that. I, like, I don't know if they have that sort of fandom it for Sentai in Japan that's big enough that these writers would know about it, but boy howdy, at least in in my more familiar fan spaces, there's always some jerk who wants to go on about like every superhero should be a cruel, vicious monster, and that would be the best way to be a superhero. And it's just boring and dumb and wrong. Yeah, though I do love that Ko's response to this is like, but wait, leader, what? What leader? Like That's right. Like, no, we're 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 a team. We're all doing this. Like this boy is just uncorruptible. And it's and it's made even better by the fact that we know it's by choice and not by nature. Mm. Like he knows he could be like that. He tried to be like that and it got him nowhere. It's he knows he could be but he knows that it's not who he should be. Like, God, he really is the best Red that we've had in a long time. Yeah, which, honestly, is saying something. Because, okay, Lucky and Takaharu notwithstanding, we've had a pretty decent spread for a while here. And he still is, like, head and shoulders. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, I honestly... I'd, I'd go all the way back to Gokaijar. Like, I love Wright, and I think, you know, between Gokaiger and Ryu Soldier, Wright is probably the strongest red, but man, Ko is just on another level. Yeah, he, he really is. And not to mention, again, like, they they have been working, especially since in this episode, with once you have in the back of your head, oh, right, kindness doesn't come naturally to him. It is a discipline at which he must up, to which he must apply himself. It's just, it makes moments like this shine all the brighter. Like you were saying, it's I just I just wanted to highlight that we had that bit because that's still one of my favorite bits they've done for a red in a while. God, yeah. So I know I said the little bit at the top about Tiramigo shoving Melt out of the way at the beginning, um, but we do have Tiramigo calling him by his proper name 
when they're telling him to bring Chibigaru to his father. So I do really appreciate that the growth between Melt and Tiramigo is a thing that has stuck in the story, and when it's a serious moment, like, it is clear that he and- that Melt and Tiramigo respect each other. Yeah, which, like, look, fun's fun, even if it is quite mean-spirited, and I'm not proud of my son for that. To be fair, when- Melt also has a little bit of a mean-spirited sense of humor with his friends. They're kind of all like that. That's true, but still, like, come on, Tiramigo, you're better than that. But still, when the chips are down, Tiramigo shows he's serious by putting aside childish things like, ha ha, poke, 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 I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, whatever. And that's good. I like that. Because you can, you can have a sort of, like, playful adversarial thing with people, but when the chips are down, the important thing is get the job done. And it was really good getting to see Asuna and Tiramigo fighting side by side. Like, that was oh, really cool. It really was. And, man, I just, I didn't, it also made me realize how much I want to see more Tiramigo just, like, fighting the the mooks. I, I understand why they can't, because, again, I, I'm not sure how they, how the person in that suit works that suit, but <laughs> it, it sure looks difficult. But still, I, I like him and, and Asuna getting to team up. Yeah. I want it more, honestly. True. Okay, so there are as many guys out there as stars in the sky, but who knows if any of them would actually like you, is maybe the sickest burn ever put to paper and screen. Like, <clears throat> dang. Dang, Crayon. And then yeah. she's, like, dancing around all proud of herself for learning this terrible new skill from Weisel. She's like, Weisel, I did it! It worked! And I'm like, you're awful, baby. I love you. Crayon is gonna be a menace after the show's over. Like, everything's cool, and then she's gonna drop in this this thing she learned, like, alright, build them up, drop them down, and just drop these soul-crushing bombs and knock folks into next week. Or maybe become an edgy insult stand-up or something? I don't know. I just... I really want to see her six, six skills be put to some kind of less actively evil use. Even just being kind of a jerk in the world, that'd be better than, you know, trying to end it. Uh, also, though, uh, her Twitter game would be untouchable. Again, like, I would not want to get into a YouTube feud with her. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I I don't I don't really have a problem with them. I don't really have a problem with Uwe. I think she dresses great. You know, for a school arm. Like that sort of thing. Just snarky, sarcastic, utterly vicious. Uh, she's amazing. I think my favorite thing about. Pakigaru and the Smash Soul is that Melt is the first one who gets to use it. Like, we get another power-up and it's not just granted to the red. Like, Ko did a lot to win Chibigaru over and we see Ko use it in the robot fight, but having Melt get to use it first means it's not just Ko's. It's not a power-up that's going to become a hand-me-down to the rest of the team. This one is explicitly for the whole team, or at least for Ko, Melt, and Asuna from the off. Yeah, and thank goodness for that. And not to mention, on 
top of how it's nice that it's it's a it's the team's power up. Uh, for all I would have wanted Asuna to be the one to use it from the off, brute strength being her superpower after all, it's nice that instead we have a bit where, arguably, people are using the greater souls to shore up areas in which they might be less proficient. Which, I mean, look, that's that's some nonsense, because in the next episode, that changes up entirely, but I don't know, I just I felt it was quite nice all the same. But man, that henchin on the way up the geyser was sick. Yeah, you ain't half kitten. Like, look, say one thing for the directors here on Ryu Soldier. Say they know how to make a henshin sing. Yes. Also, the, the boxing ring robot fight with, like, the announcer introductions and, like, the bell at the end, that was very cute. And it just, it gave the fight a little more interest than a standard Sentai robot fight would have. Like, it was just fun to watch, where, you know, you had those shots where you're down at the ground, kind of focusing on the footwork, and you've got the, the power lines functioning as the the ring. Like, it was just really neat. It was fun to watch, and I appreciate when they kind of change things up a little bit to find a way to hold my interest in robot fights. Which, again, honestly, is a thing this show does better than a lot of Sentai series, just generally not even just recently just generally the little change-ups give the robot fights uh, a fantastical kind of whimsical feeling that i personally at least respond very well to because you can try and like oh gritty realism whatever but it is so cool when we just play with them because on top of everything else that's what they're for hey kids you want to play with these robots Here's here's what you can do with them, because I think a big thing is that kids, like, we, we talk about boundless, the boundless imagination of children, and that's in many ways true, but in many ways also not true, because they don't have enough life experience to synthesize stuff out of. So just stuff like, oh no, the robot fight, like, yeah, sure, it takes place in a city or, or like, a forest area or whatever, there, for some reason, it can also turn into a giant boxing ring. Why? Cuz. This is pretend. Go for it, kid. Yeah, just do it. But I, I did kind of lose it a little bit at the end when Bomba kind of dumps Conalo's own words of encouragement at that lady back on him after she just kind of gets up and walks away. Like, as much as I'm once again bugged about them making this already not great plotline a punchline for him... I did enjoy getting to see Bomba, like, interact with him on a friendly but very sarcastic level. Yeah. Where he's like, Which... I know I know you're not a bad person, and I guess we get along, but I am gonna mess with you. Yeah. Which, honestly, like, I like the relationship him, him and Conalo have. I, I really hope they manage to do something with it, because... Ever since the bit of, wait, can Bamba hear Mosa Rex talking? Let's build on that. Like, I want to see us build on that some. Yeah. Not to mention, I just like when they let Bamba doing stuff be the way we kind of close out the, the main part of the episode. Yeah. Because that dude is really good at at ending an episode. He is, he's really great at having that last, like, line or facial expression. 
it just adds a lot. And I think that uh, closes out of 27. Let's let's move on into 28. Okay, Nada and Ko training together had some really, like, cool dynamic shots, but the best part of that was Melt and Asuna just sitting on the stairs, like, eating potato chips and watching. It was really cute. There was something about that, just the transition from this really serious, dynamic, like, sparring match to the two of them just, like, sitting at the back of the arena just eating chips. And I do appreciate that even though Nada goes out of his way to shake Ko's confidence during training, Asuna's right there to, like, build it back up on the walk home. Which, on a second viewing, is a really elegantly done microcosm of the emotional arc of the episode. Yeah, it really is. And look, again, we've mentioned before that Arakawa can't always hit him out of the park. Fair dues, it's wrong to expect that of anyone. But at the same time, it's those little bits of elegant storytelling that make you sit up and take notice when his name is mentioned. Yeah. Because if it's if it's not the little thematic grace notes, it's it's the the moments where he'll sum up a character perfectly in like one or two lines. I'm looking at you. That one episode of uh, Lupot with Keiichiro, where God. oh no, I get him as a person now. I hated him, and now I li- now I love him, and he is my favorite. God, he really he really did a lot yeah. for that show. Like I already loved Keichiro, mm. but like that that episode was so good. Yeah, I didn't want to like Keichiro, and th- and after that episode, I did not have a choice. Like he's just he's too good. Like I understand him and. Again, it was the smartest thing in the world, because no one writes a good guy cop like Naruhisa Arakawa writes a good guy cop. It's true. So I really hope Koreon gets to keep that confetti bazooka, because that was really good. Like, I hope that's just a thing that, like, we see her using, like, behind Weisel sometimes, or, like, in her future YouTube videos. Oh, yeah. Honestly, like, if she could just keep bringing it to fights now and then just to psych the team out, that'd be great. Also, like, incredibly evil. Because, I mean, I feel like our heroes are going to be kind of traumatized by it. A little bit. Yeah. Same time, though, uh, she does like being an absolute monster of a henchman. So, I don't know, it's, it's just nice when we take those bits of silliness and frivolity and make them feel sinister. Because, like, look, we all know that scary clowns are now thicker on the ground than, like, clowns. So it's it's hard to take those frivol- frivolous, happy, innocent joys and turn them into something sinister, because so many of them, that's already been done. That polka-dotted confetti cannon is, like, hey, guess what? This thing is now sinister as hell. <laughs> And they don't even have to change anything about it. Just Koreon just like, hey guys, guess what? Oh no, he's got the ca- she's got the cannon. Run! <laughs> Put up the shield. Of course, the other side will be that um, Koreon's going to get punched into orbit Team Rocket style by Asuna. But you know yeah. what? In fairness, she deserves that. <laughs> and and she'll you know she'll land. It'll be fine. But oh yeah. 
basically indestructible. But uh, I just, I definitely want to see the confetti cannon again. Yes. So as much as I have weird mixed feelings on this weird dysfunctional couple at the center of the episode, but I guess they're not that bad because sometimes people just do get in fights even if they love each other. I'm just, I'm a little weird that this is apparently a name that she like keeps in her back pocket that she knows she hates or that she knows her husband hates. Yeah, it's, it's a bit messed up. It it feels very weird. Especially since this dude is super, super sensitive about it. Yeah. Because, like, but, a stranger saying it to him is is causing him that distress. That's, it, it means something. Yeah, something, something there feels a little weird, but we don't go deep enough into them that I can really say anything one way or the other. But I've just, I've got mixed feelings, given the mm. implications. I do appreciate that this woman running up to Conalo is immediately like, my husband is in trouble, before he can even engage the soft light filter. <laughs> like, we're just not dealing with that today. Like, nope, we're just moving right past it. I guess Arakawa wanted to make up for that weird karate episode and is just like, nope, not today. I'm, I'm hoping that there's a bit where, like, the producers wanted to do more of it. And he just pointed back at the karate episode like, look, no, I did it. We've established that this is a thing. Let me make this episode the way I want to because I actually understand how storytelling works. Because, I mean, more than anything, I just also want Conalo to have a second thing. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like coming from the underwater land should be should count as a second thing, but it doesn't because that that informs why he just wants to uh yeah, he just thinks the seaweed is always greener in someone else's lake. But it's like it's because she specifically goes to Conlo, it makes me feel like someone wanted him to and he's just like I do not have time. Yeah. There is not time for this. Look at this actual plot that I've got going yeah. on. Also, we don't even have time for them to point out that this is an incredibly stupid plan. Do you think we have time to engage his silly joke? We do not. So, I know I mentioned it before, we talked about it a little bit, but God, Nada's plan is cold. Mm. Like, not only is he intentionally rattling Ko's confidence, he then wraps it around a plan that is designed for Ko to fail, Plus, that failure will ensure the death of not just a member of Ko's team, but one of his closest friends, which is a blow that Ko will absolutely not be able to recover from. Like, he wouldn't be able to recover from that if someone else killed Asuna, much less him thinking that he did it. Yeah. This is easily one of the most hardcore plots in modern Sentai. Like, just one of the most vicious villain plans... Oh, yeah. In modern Sentai, if not Sentai as a whole. Like, it's so rare that we see a villain cutting right into the hearts of their heroes this way. And it's very reminiscent of Lucky and Balance going into Naga's brain to free him from himself. But as much as that arc is one of our favorites, mm. I, I know you hold it dearly and so do I. Oh my god, for yes. many of the same, if not a few slightly different reasons. But I feel like the added layer of Nada's deception against how much Ko trusts him and that he's having Ko hurt Asuna, instead, like, it would be like if someone tricked Balance into hurting Naga. Which she did. And, like, it's... 
just that level of Nada trying to trick Ko into murdering his best friend just mm-hmm. makes it hurt a little bit more. Oh yeah, oh yeah. This is a superlatively villainous plan. Because, like you said, it's designed to destroy everything that makes Ko both who he is as a person, but also who he is as a red. If it goes off as intended, Ko can no, like, he will never be able to be the red because he has no confidence. He may indeed give up on being this kind person that he's become because kindness breeds connection, connection breeds betrayal and pain, and why would he be so worried about betrayal? Because he will never be able to trust himself not to betray his friends. I mean, it's it's just plain mean. And once again, you notice that, okay, this is 100% a plot from a villain, not just a plot from a guy who's kind of a jerk who's married to a truly, truly bad plan. I have to say, you do appreciate the craft in the sneaky, underhanded evil of it. But also just, wow, that's mean. It is. And I mean, I know this episode is does not technically officially confirm it, and we're slightly getting ahead of ourselves, but there is that little bit at the very end where, like, Nada's watching them all, and, like, you, it's, it, it, it's this low shot and you get the villain music sting. Like, look, we all know at that point. Yeah. It's it's not I, I, officially confirmed until 29, but, you know, we're still two weeks behind because there hasn't been an air, a break in airing, but, look, we know at this point. Yeah, and and even if, like, it, first time watching, I was still, like, I was still attached to, oh, he's going to become Geysorg. He's just a very bad person. No matter what happens, you cannot walk away from this and think... Oh, well, maybe he's just misguided. Or, oh, well, maybe he's just kind of jealous, but he also wants to help out the team. Like, there can be none of that. He's just, like, looking on. If he had a mustache, he would be twirling it. He was very happy to be doing his incredibly evil stuff. And again, I I appreciate that. That bit where uh, Toa and Bamba take off to go, like, deal with Koreon, and Melt starts to go with them, and Asuna, like, grabs his wrist so he can't leave, and you get that little pan down to her trying not to cry, even though she's already got her back to everyone, and that she just needs to hold on to one of her friends because she's afraid of dying. That destroyed me. That wrecked me, my friends. Um, Yeah, dude. This episode was so incredibly harrowing. And, like, that's the only word that I can use to describe it. It was it was stressful. Yeah. I was stressed out watching this episode for the first time. Because, like, in my brain, I know Asuna has to come out the other side okay. This is Sentai, and they aren't going to kill off the Pink Ranger mid-show. That's not how this works. It, it has never been how this worked in the close to 40 years this has been going on. But my tiny, stupid, scared lizard brain reacted so viscerally to Asuna's fear that I was feeling it with her. Like, because they're, at that point, 
there was no exit strategy. We see Ko failing over and over at the Smash Soul plan. There is no clean path to victory. And as much as, like, in the back of my brain, I knew Asuna was going to live, I couldn't see how we were going to get there, and I was so stressed out. Oh, you are not alone. Because like you say, there's no level of intellectual knowledge and pattern recognition that, like, okay, we know how Sentai works, that will get you past the fact that if you are at all engaged with this show, you are afraid for her. Because even when they've had to replace people, there's usually been, like, hey, you get kindly excused, or you just, like, disappear from the show somehow. Looking at you, Bioman. But that's not what was happening here. But all the same, I was afraid. Like, I knew they weren't going to let them shred Asuna's heart by this weird, evil, tapeworm-tailed horror clown guy. But I was so afraid that they were going to let Asuna die by her heart getting shredded by this evil, tapeworm-tailed horror clown guy. And, I mean, I know I'm just repeating and, and just saying the same thing you just said. I'm very sorry, but I was having the exact same emotion. Yeah, it, and it was, was stressful. Great. Yeah, like, I I just turned to my partner while we were watching and like, hey, I know she's not going to die, but I'm so scared for her right now. And I mean, like, again, Arakawa. Mm-hmm. But, um... I mean, uh, you know, also, like, you know, we can put it down to Arakawa, because, like, Look, the rest of the cast, they are doing their job. But Arakawa did construct this situation, and it was real well done. Okay, so what is Karayon's ultimate technique? What was she trying to do? Because, like, when explosions happened, she thought she did that. <laughs> look, look, I'm really gunning for Karayon to be the final boss of this show. I know that we both are. Oh, yeah. And, like, she's learning different styles of raising the Minosaur from the different Druidons she's working with, and now she's hinting at having some kind of greater offensive power? Like, the way Ryu Soldier has operated, that's gotta be leading to something. They don't just introduce things and then not pay them off. I mean, on the one hand, I do really hope so. Because I would love to see Koreon be just the goddess of destruction that we all know in our hearts she could be. At the same time, I also hope we never, ever see Koreon's ultimate technique. And it's a thing she keeps threatening people with, even in her appearances in, like, latter-era crossover movies. Look, I would love that. I would love if in, like, ten years we get whatever versus Super Sentai in the vein of, like, Bokendra versus Super Sentai, where someone's just bringing back old villains, and she's just like, I'm gonna use my ultimate technique! And then, you know, when it comes time for her to do that, she's just not there. Yep. Just got distracted. She's off, you know, making another YouTube video. Yep. It'd be- I, I think that'd be fun. But either way, I feel like if they aren't setting up an actual ultimate technique- they are also setting up a great running joke. Yes, and I would and be I'm... fine with either of them. Yeah, same. Or both. Uh, both is good. In, in the words of the internet, both is good. Okay, so that scene where Ko is too afraid to actually try to bust the Minosaur, and he's, like, hesitating, 
he's he's all suited up to do it, but he's he's just too scared. And Asuna, dying, hauls herself up out of off the couch to remind Ko who he is and who he is to her is some absolute Arakawa art. Yeah, yeah. I can't totally give him all the credit because Osaki Ichika as Asuna and Ito Shigeki in the Ryusoul Reg suit, like, that was some amazing timing and acting and the directing and the editing and the music really tied it all together. But that whole scene feels like one that only a very few writers could frame in a way that comes off this well. It's, it's very true. It's like... Arakawa, Shoaikawa, and Kobayashi. And and look, maybe the rest of these folks will get there eventually, but this is not not to do the the uh like the shonen trope, but the rest of y'all gonna have to train for at least another hundred years before you even think about challenging them. Also, like you mentioned uh Osaki Ichika as Asuna and Yo, she got some chops. She does. She, she doesn't get to show them off very much, because, I mean, she's Asuna's kind of just a sweet-natured, cool character who's very chill and down-to-earth, and not doesn't get into deep philosophical stuff. She doesn't have a lot of, oh, I'm so uncertain, because that's not her, de- her deal. But she sells the hard-headed desperation that is so close to being hopeless desperation, but that isn't because she knows what show she's in and that she can trust her friends. But somehow you feel like the hope makes it worse for her because she can't even just lay down and accept it. Like some of the shots of her there, just just your hair clinging to her forehead because she's all sweaty and afraid and in pain. And she sells it so good. It's amazing. But man, that cutaway to commercial, oh. and then coming back to the Gachi Reyes fight—you like, can't do that to the children. That is mean. Yes, it really is. <laughs> oh, sorry, like I shouldn't laugh, but you laugh or you cry. Like dropping her to the floor and cutting to commercial and coming back to something else. Uh huh. That's rude. But then, like, you, you come back from that scene to, like, just her on the floor and Ko is, like, leaning over her and shaking her and screaming in this very, like, Simba in the gorge with Mufasa's dead body kind of way. Mm. Like, oh my god. And then the, the real, the real art, because this is the part that could have gone so bad, is the transition to Asuna being okay and just kind of, like, groaning at Ko for being so loud, and then getting up and being like, I'm fine! I'm okay now! Oh. It's- that could have gone so badly, but somehow it's just- it's paced perfectly, and Ichika and Ichinose Hayate, who plays Ko, and just everyone in, else in the room- they just play it so genuinely and earnestly that, like, everyone has the reaction. Like, yeah, that's what Asuna would do. That's how she'd get up. She'd, she'd get up and she'd joke about it and then high-five everyone. Yep. And it just, somehow, they really nailed what they were going for. 
And if they had been off by a millimeter, it would have been terrible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they, they were not off by that millimeter. No, just that sense of relief when Asuna starts whining at Ko. Oh. Like, oh, it's like, oh, I wasn't breathing. Yeah, yeah. Again, again, even though you know intellectually that it's going to be fine, until you see it actually being fine, you're just worried, 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 and then she's just, ah, quiet down. Like, my lizard brain just, like, flooded me with endorphins. Because, <laughs> like, oh, no, it's fine. Everything's cool. My whole body is singing a little. I'm shaking. Everything's fine. Oh, it's good stuff. It really is. It, it was such an amazing, like, two scenes. So I love Asuna getting to use the Smash Soul in the robot. Like, yeah. I wish they'd kind of just pass it off to her permanently because it looks really good with her suit. And it just, it fits her character perfectly where you've got Chibigaru, who's so cute. And, mm. but also is like super into punching. And that's also Asuna's deal is that she's very cheerful and cute, but can like punch you into the next galaxy. So just give it to her. Let her keep that one. But like, most of all, I'm just, I'm glad they let her have it specifically for that fight. Because usually in recent years, even if it's someone else's episode, the robot fight still falls to the red, which is a thing that bums me out to no end. Mm. But And this episode was as much Ko's as it is Asuna's, so I really didn't expect them to let her have this one. I thought, you know, it was just gonna be Ko. But after all the danger she was put in and how she was effectively taken out of the episode... She really got to dish out that well-deserved payback when we finally got to the robot fight. Oh, and it was so cathartic. Ugh. You, you needed that. <laughs> also, like, I know I said earlier that it was cool that Melv gets to use the Smash Soul to kind of shore up the things he's not so good at. On the one hand, I do stand by that. But also, there's a lot to be said for letting an upgrade highlight and further improve on what you can do already. Especially, again, since that moment was so very cathartic for her. Hey, you almost murdered me. I'm going to punch you to death. If if he was... Honestly, that dude is lucky that she is in the robot. Because if she had the opportunity, she would tear him apart with her bare hands. Oh, yes. The robot also, is there to restrain her. Yeah, yeah, we're doing some we're doing some classic thing of that, which look I'm always very fond of honestly, um, but like you were saying, also the Smash Soul looks very good on her, because it's it's got that common Rider decade color scheme. It's got the pink and the green and the black and the white, and it just it looks really good. Honestly, it also looks very good on Melt. Yeah, and it looks better on them than it does on Ko, and I'm very happy that there's a suit where I'm just like Ko just. On top of you shouldn't, just it doesn't look good on you, dude. Yeah, I I know you've got the the weird color vision, um, mm. but I'm gonna apply some color theory here. Okay. Um, one, I'm just I'm super into pink and green color schemes. That is yeah aesthetic for me. Um, Co is red, and yes. red and green are complementary colors. And even though Pakigaru is a kind of muted like, slightly army greenish green. Um, red and green, the you still can't really 
put them right up against each other without some effects happening. Uh, it, it messes with your eyes. If it was like a, if it was a, like, Toa colored green, and you put that on, on Ko, it would look really bad. Um, that will really mess up your eyes. It's unpleasant to look at. Um, where blue and green are analogous and they're right next to each other, so they work better together. Mm. And... Like, you can you can do a lot with blue and green together, because they're in very similar color families. Um, where the pink and green... Pink is in the more a more red color family, but... So you, you'd think it wouldn't really work, but I think because it's, again, that muted green, um, and then you've got pink, which is lighter... They're not in the same value family or the same saturation family, which I think really helps them work together. Mm. Um, I was just most thinking because, like, Co with the red and the green, I'm just like, look, you can only wear that at Christmas and we're a few months out, dude. Yep. But uh, there's your color theory lesson for yeah. today, where um, Co is in the same. He's not. Ko's red and Pakigaru's green are not in the same saturation family, but they are in the same value family, so it still looks kind of bad, especially because they are directly uh, complementary colors. So there's your cool. color theory lesson for today, kids. Look, I, I'm glad for it. I would love to do like a video essay on color theory in tokusatsu suits. I... I'm here for it. That we, sounds like honestly, a lot of fun. You could tell you could just do a whole episode about why uh I know we mentioned it before, but why the the lightning hornet suit in Zero One is the one blue and, and gold suit that works. Yeah, because again, blue and yellow are directly uh well it's blue and uh, it depends on the co the color wheel because uh yellows and greens get a little weird depending on which color wheel you're looking at, but in an RGB uh, color space, which is what you would see viewing an episode, anything you watch on a screen, is in an RGB color space. Um, blue and yellow are directly complementary. Uh, where in a print space, it's blue and orange. Uh, so they don't look good together. Again, they, they kind of make your eyes vibrate. And it's unpleasant. But because of values and saturations and the way that the blues fall into shadow on that suit, it looks actually pretty good. I would love to do more about that because it's fun. I love color theory. But I've got one more thing in this episode. Um, and it's a surprisingly big thing for how kind of minor it is. It's Bamba. It, it's always Bamba with us. Which, I Let's mean, not look, lie. in fairness, he's very good at what he does. But he's got a really minor role in this episode. But this episode also uses kind of what happens in the episode as a way to display the culmination of his growth in the first half of the show in a way that's really beautiful on top of just everything else this episode has going for it. 
Because over the course of the episode, we see his fear slowly start escalating from when he realizes Asuna's life might be in danger to the fact that he starts outright panicking at the possibility of the Minosaur growing while inside her to the point where he just runs off to go deal with it. Because that's how he deals with that. To the specific recognition of only his fear. There are other people fighting in this fight, but it only acknowledges him when Koreon torments the guy enough for the Minosaur to start growing. We, like, the camera specifically focuses and zooms in on him being like, oh god. (laughs) To his relief to the point of tears when they reconvene at the end of the episode and he sees that Asuna's okay. Yeah. It's just... He does a lot of good work. Like, congratulations on your skills as well as congratulations on your face, dude. But just, honestly, it, it really does bring into focus how on top of not as evil plans, because, I mean, look, we, we talked mostly about those because, mm, mean. But the bad guy's plan is also really horrible this time. Because make a monster explode out of someone's chest like a xenomorph, except that xenomorph is 50 feet tall, or rather 50 stories tall, like... Like, if you stop and think about it, that is viscerally horrifying. You understand why Bamba is afraid of that, because, like, that is a thing I spent a lot of the episode being afraid about. And then him saying it made me even more afraid, because it's like, oh no, the writers have thought about this. Oh no! Again, again, like, it's, it's only fair to give credit to everyone involved in this production, but boy, that feels like such an Arakawa bit for me. Yeah, and it, again, because it's so subtle within the episode. Mm. And, and like, you speak, you talk about subtle, it's also got the thing where the big threat is tearing up the strong heart of the person who is themselves the strong heart of the team. Like, that's, that's really poetic and kind, to the point that's over the top, and I love it. But, like, as much as, like, I think the thing that really makes it sing is the fact that, you know, Bamba kind of tries to brush it off when, at the end of the episode. But the only time we've seen reactions from him that are to this extreme are back when Toa was poisoned by the werewolf turducken at the beginning of the show. And to see that response, have him... And to see him have that response for Asuna, who in their first interaction, he just blatantly ignored and refused to even acknowledge, shows how much he's grown and how much this little family has grown on him in the past months. Yeah. And it's they just do so much good subtle stuff with him. And I'm glad they do because they have an actor who can sell us on that subtle stuff, which... Um... I mean, again, we're we're very about Bon Bon this podcast. We we really are. I adore him so much, and I just I love that he has this really visible arc that he's having. Yeah, but also one that they don't have to like shove in your face. It's a it's a very Sakura sort of yes. arc. Yes. Which again, we all know what I love. Yeah. Look, ain't no shame in loving Sakura. 
Um, and I guess, like, now we're down to, like, final thoughts and predictions. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, we're still behind by two episodes because there hasn't been a break in airing for us to catch up. So we do know what the next two episodes are. And, yeah, oh do. my god, I'm so excited to talk about them. Same. Like, when, Same. when I was setting up our notes for this week, I f- my brain somehow forgot we were two episodes behind. And I just had started preparing to do those. And when I went to look up the writers, I'm like, what do you mean those are not, aren't the episodes we're on? But then I remembered how good these episodes were. It was like, okay, I do want to no, talk we, about these. Yeah, no. If there are ever bad episodes, we'll probably just start skipping over them. But, hmm, been a bit since we've had a full-on bad episode. Yeah, I really, there really hasn't been anything that's outright bad. Yeah. But mostly, like, we're, we're talking about, like, half of the show, and I just had to stop and think, like, oh, right, Right, we're we're almost out of the twenties. Yeah, it's weird. In regular keeping up, we are out of the we are into the thirties, and it's it's nightmarish because honestly, it's felt like we've been in the mid twenties the whole time. Yeah, like it it really still feels like we've just started. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, like, that's that's real good. And, and it's saying a lot because, hey, remember how the show started and they murdered three character the, the, the our three protagonist mentors in just terrible ways? <laughs> and, and, like, the only thing you can think is, oh, right, this show is not going to be messing around. And this show never started messing around. No. Except, I guess, a bit with Conalo, but no, no. Only a little... Know. Yeah, only a little, I mean, but... like, kind of more than a little, but it, it was never enough to drag anything down. Yeah, no. The worst I can say is, like, again, uh, yeah, that Naruhi Sarakawa, uh, the episode with the dojo, that wasn't, uh, great. It's not, not his best. Yeah. But even then, like, that episode wasn't bad. bad. No. It just, like... it was just a really awkward setup for an episode. Yeah. I mean, the, it's nice, though, to say with, with Narhisa Arakawa, like, yeah, his worst? Eh, still better than a lot of people's best. <laughs> a little bit. I, that's, I mean, I'm sure a lot of that is because this dude has been in the game. Tokusatsu writing, anime writing, just for a minute. <laughs> like, that dude was writing on Pat Labor. He's been around for a minute. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Any any other final thoughts other than, like, we could do an episode just about, hey, you know who's great? Narhis Arakawa. Um, no, just I'm super excited to get to the next two episodes. Oh, big same. There's some real good stuff that I'm so excited to talk about. Mm. Including uh, Conalo. We're gonna have some actually, good yeah. talk about Conalo. That's gonna be nice. Uh, so then, for... Laser Knees and the rest of the Toe Network. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona. And don't get kicked by a horse and die. <laughs>